This morning, we had a technical difficulty while recording our audio, so this is lower quality than what we normally do, but we're so thankful for your patience and we're glad that you're here. Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and the renewal of our world. We're so glad that you're listening. All right, we're going to start this series, The Most Exciting Idea on Earth, with some conversation, I hope. I'm going to ask you to speak. And if you're new here, I'm not asking you to speak. Uh, just feel comfortable to sit and listen. But at least, at least a couple of people, I'd like to hear, and it's okay to just speak up, make your voice heard, a, a, a place that you've traveled to that was spectacular. And, and here's what I mean by spectacular. When I say spectacular, like it was so inspiring to you, you wanna go back, maybe you have gone back, you're, you're working it into your budget to someday go back and you'd like more family to experience it or maybe a friend or some friends to experience like what you saw or uh, what you experienced. So anybody, just, and, and let me say, if somebody, goes right before you and says something like, I don't know, they, they had breakfast on the International Space Station, and then you're like, never mind, I was gonna say, I've been to Vancouver. Um, don't be intimidated, just, just share your, like, the, the, the place. Disney World. Good job, Alex. Yeah, like, um, like a particular resort or First thing in the morning, looking down Main Street at Disney World. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Lisa, Machu Picchu, just like three weeks ago. Lisa was up in the Andes in Peru, hiking, camping overnight, buses, planes, and the pictures are just spectacular. Yeah, uh, that's a hard one to beat. Who's going to go against that? Chip? Santorini. Santorini? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, that's, a, that's on the bucket list for me, for sure. I saw another couple hands, I think. Doug? Belize. Belize. Very nice I got my scuba certification about 14 years ago, and everybody says that's one of the best places in the world to, to dive. So, okay, I'm going to share a couple examples with you. Uh, the first is from about four or five years ago. We took our family to Yosemite. I had been my whole life since I was in elementary school and saw the national parks wanting to go to Yosemite. And I'm gonna just start this with a short, this is like a 10 second video. I cannot believe what I'm looking at. This is the prettiest place I've ever seen in my life. Okay, that is, I believe it's called Glacier Point above Yosemite Valley. And that's half from there behind me. The, the view, it's, it's maybe the best view I've ever seen in my life. And then the still photo that I just took right after this video, this is a part of the valley and there's half dome. You see these two waterfalls kind of center, right? They look like toy waterfalls in this picture, like, like miniature. They are so massive. It took us six hours to hike from the valley floor past uh, up to the second waterfall and back. Longest hike I've ever done. I, it was just breathtaking. The stars at night. Um, 
And then another example is from last summer. I joined a handful of pastors in the North Point Partnership and went to Montana. And we went to, we went out on a boat on a lake. It's a long lake. 40 miles of it is in Montana, 30 miles in Wyoming. And because it's on Crow Nation, uh, the reservation, tourists aren't allowed. So only residents of Crow Nation have access to this lake or guests staying with someone in Crow Nation. And we were guests in, in this retreat lodge. And so we would go miles down some of the prettiest water. They, they call it the second Grand Canyon and it's full of water. And we'd go miles without seeing another human. It was like we had entered another world that no humans had discovered or something. And then we, we went off one of these fingers off the lake up into like a stream and that's Eric, Eric Pastors in Virginia Beach. And we're walking up this stream, and kid you not, it was like from the Hunger Games, like this was programmed, like the button was pushed, and a bald eagle flies down the stream right in front of us, you know, out of view. Uh, and another pastor, Adam, took this picture of us, and this was just like, wow, where are we right now? All right, so <clears throat> these places, these, these and, and there are places here. There are places in Loudoun County. There are roads in Loudoun County that are some of the prettiest roads I've ever driven on. Snickersville Turnpike and a lot of the small little roads that cross Goose Creek. You don't have to go very far to be awe-inspired. And when it comes to the places that you want to visit, places you've visited, what you want to do in retirement when, when it comes to ideas that you have about uh, creativity or innovation. God is actually ahead of us. God is way ahead of you when it comes to good and beautiful and what can grab the human soul and pull us in. We we have bucket list locations. There are things that we want to do later in life. There's justice that we want to see happen. There's solutions that we want to, that, that we crave to happen in this world. There are experiences, maybe, maybe art or music experiences that make you feel like more alive. There is what I would call the most precious interaction between people, and I refer to it as the table. It's my favorite place on the planet, is the table, where people come together, not just, not just around good food and good wine, but the conversation is inviting, where you feel accepted. And you know, th th these are pictures that we have in our mind of what community, what family really looks like, where there's laughter and storytelling and you feel like you're part of this family. Maybe that's something you've experienced or tasted or it's an idea that you have, a, a desire that you have for your life. And I'm starting this series by telling you God is ahead of us. He's way out in front of us when it comes to the good and what's possible and the beauty that we crave. It's so easy to think that our good idea, a place that inspires us, a desire for a solution, puts us ahead of God. 
this is a common thought today, that we have sort of left the irrelevant God of religion in the past. We want good. We want good for our neighbors. We want to be inspired. We travel to beautiful places and say, wow, now this is more like it. This is more of the world that I want to live in. And it's taken over society. The idea that we've left the idea of a need for God behind because of the good that we crave, the beauty that we want to be part of, the difference that we want to make. And then you add to it the bad that we see. My gosh, you look at the crisis or the way, the the atrocities of what people do to other people. And it's just so easy to believe we're ahead of God. We're, We're way out in front of God. An irrelevant God. And nothing could be further from reality. So we're going to start with the very first page of Scripture. I don't know what you believe about creation. I don't know if you believe the creation narrative that God gives us in Scripture, that that he infused Moses with to write, to pen for all of humanity. What I do know is you believe in some version of creation. (laughs) I mean, you have to, all humans do. Whether molecules somehow existed in like another dimension that were had the ability to create atoms. You know, that's a theory now uh, that's being floated in, in some of the science world. It's not being taken terribly seriously, this sort of multiverse idea. I mean, we, we hear that and think Marvel, but there's actually sort of this idea, maybe there's another dimension that we don't understand that pre-existed the universe that made the universe possible. And man, I hear that talk, and it's like, uh, that's another... That's another way of saying God. <laughs> Let's just call it for what it is. It's amazing the, the good vibes. You can't watch TikTok for two minutes without people manifesting things for other people. I manifest good for you. I'm sending vibes your way. That's, that is faith talk. People who are sending vibes are manifesting things for other people. They are speaking a language of faith. They just don't realize it. You believe, if you believe you have the ability to send energy to someone else that's going to benefit their life, you are speaking faith language. Or that there's some kind of vibe or there's something, the universe is is thinking positively for you. This is just, this is language that says we've given up on God because God seems to be violent in history or God seems to have lost control of our planet and of humanity. So we're going to go a different route and yet it still ends up being faith language. And so I'm just inviting you, whatever your parent, I don't criticize you at all. I get it. I get the reasons. You look at church history, sometimes the church looks nothing like what Jesus created. The church doesn't sound anything like what God had in mind. It, looks, it does look violent. And so I don't fault anybody for deciding, you know what? Uh, that seemed to not work. Let's try something else. Maybe there's a universal energy that we could tap into. But I'm inviting you in this series to open your mind and heart not to the history that we have created and that organized religion has touted in the name of God, but that we will look at God's story. And God's story begins in the very first sentence with this. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Stay with me when I say this. I'm gonna get a little technical here on a historical fact. Before God infused this language into Moses' soul, where he wrote this out as the opening of scripture, there were two previous creation stories, the Egyptian cosmology and the Babylonian cosmology. And in both cases, those, cosmo those creation stories said the very beginning, in the beginning was water. Nothing existed before water. Water always existed. In fact, no one really questioned, well, where did the water come from? That wasn't a question in Egypt or in, in Babylon. It was just generally accepted that the source of life and the source of everything that emerged came from the waters. And God is intentionally describing here for us his willful creation. It was God hovering over the waters of the deep. This is in response to what the, the creative notion was or idea, the, the paradigm was in the ancient world, primarily from Babylon and from Egypt, that I guess waters have always existed. Genesis 1 tells us in the beginning was God, a personal God, an intentional God. In fact, we're about to see not only this God in his power hovering over the water, he would be the one controlling the waters, but we're going to see God speak. Before we get to God's spoken word, I want to just back up here to the first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is so important for what's for the hope of the world, your role in the world, the good that you crave, stay with me in this. When Moses pens this opening sentence of Genesis, he doesn't say God created heaven and earth. Heaven being a singular word. This is the plural Hebrew word, heavens. He is not writing God created a faraway place where he dwells called heaven, and then God created earth, where we dwell, people dwell. This is a plural word that refers to, the old English word was firmament, or the skies. We actually use the word skies. It's, it's interesting. We don't use, uh, we, don't, we don't have very many plural examples. We'll say sky. Generally in English, we say the sky. United Airlines will say the skies, the friendly skies, uh, we say scissors. We don't say, hey, would you grab me that pair of scissors? We say scissors. We say pants. In Hebrew, the sky was a plural word. God is creating the sky just above us where the birds fly, then the sky just above that where the clouds are, and then the sky above that where the lights that twinkle are. So this is, an, this is exactly what God intends to say in verse one. And why is this relevant to where we're going and the most exciting idea on earth? Because God is not telling us that there's a separate place where he dwells and then a place over here for people. There's not the good place where we want to end up someday in the good place with God. And then there's the lesser than good place called earth. The place where there's going to be struggle and it's going to suck from time to time. God is describing creating a place where he dwells along with us in unison together. 
Verse 3, and this is where this description begins to unfold for us. This repetition, this intentional repetition. And God said, now the intentional God is speaking, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. The first descriptive of good, meaning beautiful and without flaw. Anything and everything in this world that you would crave to say, wow, it's, it's the response to glory. We don't use that word other than generally in church, but glory is the substance like that weighty, like, wow, that is remarkable. You can, you can see glory in sports, in moments of sports. Uh, in, in the science world, there can be at, at concerts where we're just blown away by a moment. That is a response to, now this is like the, the real meaningful stuff. God saw that the light was good. That's what this word good means. The first of six instances of using this descriptive. And he separated the light from the darkness. The good is here. The good isn't a faraway place somewhere where we hope to get to someday. God created good here. We go to verse 10. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good, good a second time. Then he creates the vegetation. We're going to skip that part. Verse 17, God set the lights. Now there's various lights. He separated the waters. Now he's separating lights. He set lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. This repetition is, this is an ancient, we we, we do it. We do this today. Uh, It's more obvious that it's repeating or emphasis or emphatic use of language, but this is a very intentional technique in ancient writing to make the point, to drive the point home that this is utterly beautiful. This is without imperfection. This is stunning, is what this word means. And God's using it over and over. Verse 21, God saw that it was good. Verse 25, God saw that it was good. Verse 31, God has now made humans. God sees all that he had made, and it was very good. The word very is added here like, it is good. Every part of the world is good. Where we're going to interact together, there will be common unity in our living and interaction with the creative God in one and the same place. It is good. It is good. And then when God surveys all that he's made, it was all very good. Now, if your religious paradigm, that part of your brain wants to say, well, when God says it was good, there's like floating angels and there's, you know, there's just boring religious stuff kind of good. No, everything that you and your, and your soul crave for good, whether it's retirement or sitting on the beach or a beautiful place or something that gets your heart thumping, whether it's in a concert hall or Whatever it is that makes you feel alive, God is way out in front of you on this stuff. This was the beginning. This is what he had in mind. This was the intention. And in chapter 3, when I say everything went to hell, I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be, you know, provocative in saying that. Literally, everything went to hell. In chapter 3. 
Hell being the absence of God's character, God's creativity, God's good, God's perspective. The pushing back, pushing back, resisting against God's plan, God's heart, his way. That is actually what hell means. We have developed this idea in society, especially in the Western world, that the Bible describes this location with lots of hot fire and where people are tortured forever. That is actually not the hell that Scripture describes for us. Hell is the absence of God's presence or the rejection of God so that we could have our way, our plan, our intent. Humans chose control, and the consequences were catastrophic. When we turn on the news or we get the news alert on our phone that there's been another mass shooting, or there's controversy in the White House, whatever administration you want to choose, or there's some kind of calamity that's happened. And your instinct or your friend's instinct or, or a neighbor says, what is wrong with this world? What in the world? I mean, Amy and I, you know, after the Texas shooting, we look at each other and Amy, you know, we all love kids. Everybody here listening loves kids, little kids. Amy has a special thing in her heart. When kids are doing things kids shouldn't be doing, I'll kind of notice, or maybe it's sort of like, uh, that is sort of behavior that Amy just has this patience. I don't know what it is. It's like she's wired for little kids. The emotion she feels when something like this happens, we all feel it. But I mean, the pain in Amy's face And our instinct as humans is to say, what is wrong with our world? Well, it's in the third page of scripture. Humans broke. God didn't lose control. He made us to be people of choice. And we chose our own way and it wreaks havoc. When humans choose control, it wreaks havoc. Earth and creation were never designed to work with humans as God. And when we attempt it, all kinds of calamities happen. So we, creation, we are in a broken version of what God intended. We're in a flawed state of what God intended. Now, we know the big ones. We know the big ones, the big results of being in a a flawed, marred state. War, what else would be a big one? Murder, aging and death. I mean, these are big, big, high-level consequences that come to mind. What are some other, like, more immediate consequences of what happened in chapter 3? Gossip? Division? Looking down on someone else? Judgmental? judgmentalism, arguing. So I'm I'm taking a risk here to tell you the story. Years and years and years ago, somebody claimed to have had a vision of what eternity will be like in the future when Jesus ultimately writes the world. 
And when I hear these stories, I had, and in fact, it happened to me about six or seven years ago. A lady came up to me after church. And I said, hi, Brad. You know, welcome. And I hope it doesn't sound like I'm mocking anybody. Maybe I am. I hope, I hope not. She said, hey, I, just, I wanted to tell you, I saw an angel standing by your left shoulder this morning during church while you were speaking. And I said, really? And she, and it just got weird. It got super weird. I don't need to give any more details about it. You know, other things, things that God told her to tell me that, that weren't true. I already knew they weren't true, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, when you hear somebody say, you know, I died and went to heaven for 18 minutes and that kind of stuff, there's just something in me that's just like, turn the channel or, you know, just not really interested. But I heard this guy and I listened long enough years ago and this got my attention. I don't know if he had a vision of God. I don't know. Maybe he did. But I'm telling you, this clicked in my spirit, in my soul when he said this. That when he came back from this vision or when he woke up or, you know, he, the first thing he noticed was that he looked out his window in his house and the trees, compared to what he had just seen, our trees, big, full green trees looked limp and just sort of half dead. And he said that it was fully alive. There weren't dead branches. It was covered with green leaves because what I had just seen, he's explaining, were leaves, the way they were intended to be, humming, vibrating. And it was almost like music was coming out of them, but it wasn't really music. And he was like, I can't describe what it was. It was like life. Life was coming out of the leaves. And he went on with his description of other things that he'd seen in this vision, you know, and I'll tell you, it stuck with me so much. It just, it rang true to what the world was supposed to be before everything ended up in this sort of pseudo lesser than what God designed it to be broken version of the good, the good, the good, the awe-inspiring, without flaw, perfection, very good, God ends with in verse 31. So what's an example? Again, kind of taking a risk here. I know I'm in the middle of a message. We don't normally do this, but just yell out an example. What's a glimpse that we have in nature where we still see the creator, the character of God, the, the, the designer, the intention of God in creation? Something in nature. Sunset. I saw a beautiful sunset last night. And it does. There's just something spiritual about it. Non-spiritual people will use spiritual language about sunsets. Something else that you see in nature where you're like, that looks like God. Sunrise at the beach. What else? Birth. Okay, yeah, absolutely. We have these moments, don't we? Where it's not like, if I try to put myself in the creator's seat, like, okay, I create this perfect world, it's beautiful, the, the, just the, the Garden of Eden, which was earth. And where we are in, that was our habitat. You know, waterfalls and just everything is like the constant, you know, the Bora Bora. My friends, I showed you the picture last week, the winery of the, my friends in Bora Bora last week. Like, just everywhere. Just beauty everywhere. And I picture, 
Okay, if, if my version of that, my, my supreme object of my creation, called humans, they decide to take over. They want to control things. I just sort of see myself just like abandoning it, like throwing it all away, like, okay, I'm going to go start over. That's, that's agnosticism. A lot of people think that's what God did. He just went somewhere else. And so then there would be no presence of God in everything. With it. There would be no glimpses, but that's not what God did. We're in a broken version of creation. We still see glimpses everywhere. We, see, we read that in Romans. Paul writes this in Romans. You can just look at a sunrise, and there's something in your soul that's trying to translate spiritually to you. We did not create this. There's something magnificent. This is an all-intentional Something that's drawing you toward the source of creation. What about people? What's something you see in humans that remains that is a glimpse of the nature of God? That's, that's maybe a harder question. <laughs> Especially on the, on the week or uh, maybe just your view of the world right now. Can you see a quality in human beings and say... There, there's still a glimpse of God who created humans in his image. It's right here. Jan, let's put this on Genesis 1, 26 through 27. This is in the first chapter still. Then God said, let us make mankind, let us make humans in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created, by the way, this is a really great case for equality between men and women. God created in his image male and female. It's the only object in the universe that was made in the image of God. And we're in this very broken version of ourselves now. But you can still see glimpses of God in people. What, what, what's an example? Compassion. Compassion. Forgiveness. Somebody getting home from a long day of work and they hear about a neighbor or somebody in our church community in need and they drive late at night to go help someone. That, you, we do have these glimpses, right? Of, of like, oh, that, that's compelling. That version of person, that version of human, <laughs> that's, that's the way we're supposed to be. If you struggle with watching the news and seeing how your neighbors act in moments of stress, seeing how yourself, how you act in moments of stress, if that is all there is, if that's just the way things are now and will be in the future, man, that is a pretty depressing thought. But the story that God has given us in Scripture is the story of renewal of our space where he and we dwell together again. And if you, if you read the story of God in scripture and you take that seriously, you realize that God, not only did he not leave us, he has begun the movement of healing and restoring what has been lost and broken. You get to the New Testament and the first word that we have is gospel, and that's a church word, and 
we don't use that word out in culture, but it's the Greek word that means good news, the good news of Matthew's telling of the life of Jesus. The good news, and actually, it tra we translate it in English as good news. What it should, the way it should be translated in English is phenomenal news. Remarkable news. Here we have the word good again. The Old Testament, the, the creation story begins with the word good six times, ending in verse 31, and it was very good. And then the story of Jesus' arrival begins very intentionally with the word good. There is good news in the bad of this world, the chaos, the news you turn on. So many people are taking longer, longer stretches of no news. I continue to hear this. People just, I, I can't take it. I, I have to, I've not watched the news or read anything for two weeks now or for a month or I'm taking bigger breaks. Talk about calamity. When Jesus came into the world, into Palestine, that region of the Roman Empire, oh my gosh, it was the poverty and the oppression, the governmental oppression, the atrocities that were performed in the birth narrative of Jesus' birth. The governor of Palestine, of Judea, murders baby boys up to the age of two. I mean, the bad that you and I feel and see, and sometimes it's like, this seems hopeless. This is the world that Jesus came into, and the word good is what meets us face to face in the very beginning, the good news penned by Matthew, penned by Mark, the good news penned by Luke, the good, extraordinary, remarkable news penned by, by John. And I'm gonna just use one verse this morning. This is so hard to do, and I just decided, you know, out of these many, many, many examples, I've just got this down to one verse. Matthew 19, 28. Jesus, there's a larger context happening here about when Jesus is understood to ultimately be ruling again. But when humans understand it's Jesus who's in charge, not us, not our agenda, he is actually the creator and he is the one who should be ruling. Jesus is describing that day in the future. I assure you at the renewal of all things, he says, when the son of man will rule gloriously. Jesus is foretelling that the day is coming where all will be renewed. And that is what my resurrection will begin. My resurrection, life over death, not death for 10 minutes on the cross, but for three days. On the third day, coming out of the tomb will begin something planet Earth has never experienced. It is the movement back toward Eden, back toward the perfect, beautiful creation where God and humans dwell together. At the renewal of all things. I mean, that line alone is so exciting and compelling to me. And it takes four words in English. Renewal of all things. In Greek, when Jesus said this, it was one word. Palingonesia. Palingonesia. Now, stay with me. I know I'm talking about a Greek word here. This is fascinating. Palingonesia. It's a compound word. Palin. Which means... Again, in Genesia is the Greek word for Genesis, beginning. If we translate, if we transliterated this, Jesus would be saying, 
at the again beginning. The proper way to translate this is Genesis again. Jesus says, when Genesis has happened again, when I'm ruling gloriously in all of my substance and glory, maybe I'm squeezing the microphone too hard. (laughs) All things will be eaten without fall, without aging, without tears, without destruction. Humans will be life-giving and will be perfect reflections of my nature, of my good, of my creativity. All right, so uh, I'm going to give some assignments this summer to us. And I know that can sound like school. I shouldn't use that word because it it just takes me back to school and then I don't want to do it. If I were sitting there, I'd be like, nope, not going to do it. It's an assignment. So let's just call it an adventure. (laughs) I've got got something adventurous for you this week. (laughs) I want you to watch a video. Now, there's two ways you can watch it. You can take, you can download our Dulles Church mobile app, and at the very top is the, is the logo of the series, the most exciting idea on earth. If you click that logo on the Dulles app, you'll have opportunities to ask questions, share ideas. We're gonna, I'm going to ask for ideas throughout the series this summer, and there'll be links to certain tools or resources already at the top of that, um, of our app, when you, when you choose that is an, a video by N.T. Wright. He's my favorite theologian. He's from Scotland. He teaches at Oxford and Cambridge, and he is the most humble man. He's brilliant. I mean, he's a genius. And he has probably influenced my theology more than any other single person, I would say, uh, other than scripture writers. Uh, he teaches all around the world, and he did a talk a number of years ago at Google These are called Talks at Google, I think, uh, at Google headquarters. And I would like you to watch the first 14 and a half minutes to 1445. So start the video at the beginning and just watch the first 14, 15 minutes. At 1445, he's wrapping up this point about the real role of humans. It's a fascinating talk that he does one morning at Google. And if you, for some reason, can't get our app, you can Google search this YouTube Simply Good News by N.T. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, talks at Google. So any combination of that, we'll, we'll, we'll pull that up in your Google search. Would you watch that this week? And then would you click the questionnaire button or the contact us button on our mobile app to ask any questions? And in my next talk, when we do part two, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna entertain some of the questions that have come in. Like, well, what about this, Brad? Or, in the history of the Holocaust, or you say God made everything good. Whatever comes to mind or whatever questions, we're going we're gonna to try to make this series more interactive. So will you do that? Will you take the 14 minutes and 45 seconds to watch the beginning of that video? It's about an hour-long video, but the, the, the relevant part that I want you to get is in the first 14, 15 minutes. We are headed toward good, and to just jump ahead in the series a little bit, and this is going to be my last point, The church is now the new Israel. Israel was supposed to be the people that extended God's good into brokenness in pagan cultures and all the upside down that was the ancient world and they just couldn't get themselves out of the way. They had to still be God. Israel kept taking control away from God. 
And now the new version of this movement of people that would reflect God on earth is his church. And God is waiting. The renewal of all things will finally be completed when Jesus comes back to this world once his church looks like him and sounds like him and behaves like him. We, we, we must first reflect him into the brokenness and dark and challenging of this world to begin the movement of Jesus finally coming to write, to, to complete the writing of all that is wrong. I can't find anything on this planet that's more exciting to me than being part of this. We're imperfect. We're not a perfect group of people. We're not pretending to be. But when we come together saying we're chasing the one who's perfect, there's something transcendent that happens in us where our essence becomes the nature of God in the world around us. And I just, I'm going to fight and claw to be part of that. And I want you to do the same. I want you, and if you're listening to my voice right now on podcast uh, this week, just join us in being part of this movement of imperfect people, walking in the perfection and the good that is Jesus as we begin to speak life and hope and act out life and hope in this world. And we're just going to see little pockets of dark and bad and broken become whole and healthier and good. And if you find something more exciting, will you email me and say, Brad, I, I, that sounds pretty cool, but I think jumping out of an airplane with your parachute on the back, I think that's more exciting. Tell me, and I'll consider it. I promise you I'll consider maybe that's more exciting to invest my life in. I haven't found anything more exciting than this. God, I pray that you somehow use my words today to, to help us see more clearly what you've designed from the beginning and that you didn't give up on us. You didn't throw us into fire or just spin us into some dark corner of the universe and give up on us. You began immediately the story of redeeming and remaking and rebuilding so much so that you, Jesus, yourself said the day is coming where you will finally renew all things. And you've called your church, followers of you, to be part of that. That we would, be, we would experience it now and we would be part of starting that work now. So may we say yes. Amen.